This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Ambulatory Surgery Center's podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Bill Berryhill, Managing Partner of Heart of Texas Cath Lab and Heart of Texas Surgery Center in Waco, Texas. Dr. Berryhill, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Now, I know we'll talk about several different trends in healthcare that are really making an impact on the surgery center field and some of the unique situations of having that cath lab slash surgery center hybrid situation that you have at Heart of Texas. But first off, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? I am an orthopedic hand surgeon, and I was first involved with ambulatory surgery centers in the 90s when we started here an independent ambulatory surgery center that was totally physician-owned. After that, we sold to corporate entities, and they became the general partner, and then the physicians became limited partners. Eventually, that facility was closed, and in 2016, I began uh, this present venture and am now managing partner, and this is a physician-owned facility which functions as a cardiac cath lab or an ambulatory surgery center. However, it has to be on specific days of the month. In other words, we have to be 24 hours as a surgery center and then another 24 hours as a cath lab, and we can set the days. We don't have to change every other day or alternate, but we do have to specifically state what days of the month will be each entity. And in the facility, there is one what would be considered standard operating room, and there is one room which is a totally fitted cardiac cath lab. Interesting. So you've got this situation where you're kind of the the hybrid between the surgery center and the cath lab um, and, you know, being able to specify the days of the of the month that you're going to do one versus the other. What have been some of the challenges of having a model like that? And especially when you were first starting off there, um, how were you able to kind of troubleshoot some of the differences between the cath lab and the surgery center? Some of the biggest problems had to do with personnel. Uh, nurses who are accustomed to working in an operating room or an outpatient surgery room or working in the post-anesthesia care unit for surgeries are not really comfortable with post-cath patients because they're much more ill, they have more problems, and so the nursing level there is most competent with people who have worked in cath labs before or who have worked in ICUs rather than post-anesthesia recovery recovery units that you see in ambulatory surgery centers. So it's been a mix of, you know, trying to get the right personnel that could mesh together. And then the other thing was on the days in which we operated as a surgery center, at that time, when we started out in 2017, you could do diagnostic cardiac casts on a surgery center day. So we had to get the cardiologist to follow surgery center protocol as far as sterile routines, washing their hands, wearing shoe covers, and gowning and gloving correctly. So I know it sounds kind of silly, but they're used to their cath lab protocols, which were not as stringent as those in the surgery center. Got it. That makes sense. So interesting to hear about. Fast forward to today, what are the top three trends that you're following in healthcare right now that could make an impact you know, on the surgery center business or or your practice going forward? Well, the first trend is the one which has made us incredibly, uh, we've increased our size incredibly because they have now allowed a patient to not just have a diagnostic cath, 
in the ambulatory surgery center, but to also have a stent placement, which is a huge change. And this goes along with the, sort of the number one trend that you see with all surgery centers, which is the increased number of procedures which can now be performed in the outpatient setting. And by 2024, January 1st, 2024, the list of procedures which are to be done only in a hospital, that list will essentially disappear. So we are now performing in our ambulatory surgery center uh, heart catheterizations with stent placements. We are also performing cardiac ablations. Uh, These are done for things like atrial fibrillation and as in all other facilities, there's an increased push for our orthopedists to start performing total joint surgery. And although we do not have a spine surgeon, that's another trend that's moving forward is moving some of the spinal surgery to the outpatient setting. So this movement of increasing number of procedures that can be performed in the outpatient setting has been an absolute boom to our facility. Got it. Absolutely. So you've got these new procedures potentially coming to the surgery center and those that have already um, started being performed there just because of the changes from CMS or other payers that are willing to pay for them. Well, the big, the big change there is, is these were all driven by CMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was actually driven in part by the COVID uh, uh, pandemic because the cardiac cath labs in the hospital were literally shutting down because they weren't admitting anyone to the hospital who wasn't, uh, you know, it was all COVID-related, and they didn't want to use their uh, personal protective equipment on cardiac casts and things like that. So the hospitals were actually sort of driving patients to us, and CMS was changing their regulations rapidly to accommodate the movement of these patients to the outpatient setting. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And now, um, beyond some of these big procedures, are there any other trends that you're following? Well, you mentioned this, and you mentioned the private payer as far as what they're willing to pay for. Uh, It's interesting right now because the private payers are really not in the mood to negotiate payment for procedures in the outpatient setting, even though it's approved to be done there. Uh, I don't know whether it's because their workers are working remotely or what their situation is, but they're essentially either saying it's not negotiable or they're establishing rates that are so low, they're below the cost of performing the procedure. And they they do not wish to do any kind of carve-outs or addition for implants and these sort of things. And so I think that for the individual um, facility like we are, which is independent and not a, that's associated with a hospital or not associated with a chain, then it's much more difficult for us to uh, get private payers to negotiate prices with us. And from what I understand, that's not we're not alone in that because we have a company who is who does our billing and negotiates our contracts, and they are basically telling us that this is happening in large areas, and particularly, we are located in the state of Texas, so it's particularly here in Texas uh, that these are that the payers are not really willing to negotiate at this point, even though they, their savings could be uh, quite large. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, 
kind of given that tenor uh, of not wanting to negotiate or provide, um, you know, additional rate lifts for, for some of these procedures and carve outs and those kinds of things, um, you know, is that driving you to think differently about your strategy or being, you know, more dependent? Um, or, you know, are you able to kind of make pivots on the business side to accommodate for that? Well, we pivot and what we do is rather than negotiate a contract, we negotiate each case individually. Got it. And we'll call them on the case and the physician who's involved will say, we can do it at this outpatient surgery facility and we can negotiate this cost or if you don't want to pay that cost, then I'll take them to the hospital and this is what will cost you. And so at that point, we are successful sometimes, you know, sometimes in negotiating the price for a single patient, but not for a, you know, a standing contract. So we haven't found it to be a big problem yet, particularly with our cardiac patients, because, you know, a large number of the cardiac patients are on Medicare. So that hasn't become a problem yet, but I just see it as a problem if you look in the future and a trend for all the ambulatory surgery centers which are moving into total joints and are moving into spine surgery is how are we going to contract with these uh, private payers? Got it. That's, you know, will be really interesting to see how all of that plays out over the next, you know, few years or so. Obviously, given these challenges and some of the trends in the current healthcare landscape, where do you see the best opportunities for growth and development in the next one or two years? I actually think the best place for growth and development is exactly where I said is going to be the problem in dealing with the private payers. I mean, the biggest areas are going to be increased cardiac procedures, increased numbers and types, uh, also increased orthopedics if you're looking at uh, total joints, uh, hips and knees, and also uh, spine surgery with implants and all these things are associated with it. Uh, Because as Medicare goes, so go the private payers eventually. If Medicare moves these things all out and says they don't have to be done in the hospital, the private payers are going to have to eventually negotiate contracts. So I think that's going to happen. And that's where the biggest, that's where the biggest growth is. When you look at now, people are doing this with spine centers and with different things. And particularly, you see more and more joints. There is a big difference, however, in those facilities which are hospital outpatient departments. If they're hospital outpatient departments, they're using their hospital contracts and applying them to their ambulatory surgery centers. So those HOPD facilities certainly have an advantage over the independent ambulatory surgery centers. Absolutely. And yeah, you can definitely see, you know, some of the difference in the rates that um, one gets versus the other. And That'll be, again, interesting to see how that plays out going forward, especially given some of the recent scrutiny on, you know, healthcare prices and some of the different ways that, um, you know, the the federal government's uh, taking a look at what raises prices and lowers prices and those kinds of things. I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, they're looking at this different price level of payment and they're saying, why are we paying for the same procedure at these different levels? And you know, they need to find a level which where people can, you know, survive and, and do well, but it seems a little unusual to 
uh, pay it more to a hospital, which has a an ambulatory surgery center, which is only partially owned by the hospital and is owned primarily by private physicians, which is not really different than the organizational structure you see with uh, physicians and either private equity or physicians and management companies. Absolutely. That, that's a really great point. Um, from your perspective, when you're thinking about, you know, how payers will move forward with some of these things. And um, do you see or have you thought at all about some of the um, bundle payments and, and risk-bearing contracts and those kinds of things? Or do you foresee just being able to um, continue to kind of negotiate based on the strength of what you can charge in the ASC being lower than what's in the hospital? I think moving forward, I mean, this is going to be the big question. Um, and I think uh, every independent ASC is concerned about, you know, are they going to try to join with a an equity firm or join with a management firm or join with a hospital or are they going to stay independent? At the current position where we are, we can stay independent because our income is based not so much on volume as it is on the types of the types of procedures we're performing. Got it. So yeah, we can we can continue to do that. So we have you know relatively small staff. It's not a large facility. Uh, we have room to grow if we want if we need to get bigger, uh, and that that's kind of an exciting thought. But the thing that right now is to have all of your, I guess your expenses match your income, and for you to stay profitable. I always remember what Lee Iacocca said. He said he didn't want to be the biggest car company in America. He just wanted to be the most profitable. <laughs> Absolutely. That's definitely a good point. <laughs> well, Dr. Berryhill, before we wrap up our conversation today, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? Oh, I think the most exciting thing is just the the this new concept of, of uh, an ambulatory surgery center and a cath lab together. Uh, this for me was uh, kind of exciting because I'm talking to a young cardiologist and it's just a, it was a whole new idea. And so it became, you know, it, it, it came into existence. And then with the changes that came with the pandemic, we're now doing, you know, procedures um, such as cardiac ablations, which we were we were one of the first facilities in the United States to do that. And for, you know, a small facility in Waco, Texas to be doing that and being at the forefront of it is, you know, for me, a very exciting thing to do and to be a part of, even though on my days, I'm, I'm in the, in my, I'm in my room doing hand surgery, which is, which I'm used to and very nice and everybody's well and nobody's sick, but the, the heart days, the things are a little different. Absolutely. But, you know, that sounds so interesting. Do you see more of those kinds of uh, situations popping up across the U.S. in different markets, or is it something that, you know, really needs certain elements in place to make sure it works? No, I think you're going to see more in this everywhere. I think, I think there's going to be a, a, lot, a, a huge number of ambulatory surgery centers who are going to try to add on rooms in which they can do cardiac procedures. You know, if they can add on a room to do cardiac procedures, it's it's uh, going to be a big boom to them, and so that's what they're they'll probably be 
two things. There'll be the ambulatory surgery center that remains as an ambulatory surgery center and adds this on. Other facilities will do it another way. The reason we've stayed as a hybrid is just that not all of the procedures that are performed here are, will, they don't pay us well in the ambulatory surgery center setting, but they pay us much better in the cath lab setting. So, you know, we have procedures and things we do on the cath lab days, and we have procedures and things we do on the uh, ambulatory surgery center days. If the rules change and they come up with new regulations and they change entities and say things need to be done here or there, we have the adaptability to move and change with them. That's really great to hear. Now, is there anything that you're concerned about or, or makes you nervous? Oh, yes. Um, recently, the the president, uh, on his presidential order on July the 9th, uh, instructed the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice to try and uh, void um uh, non-compete clauses. And that kind of is is scary in a way because most ambulatory surgery centers have non-compete clauses within their structure of the facility. And, and as do most of the physicians who work for uh, hospitals or for large groups. Sometimes that ties them to that group indefinitely and they don't leave the group although they have considerations of doing that. For our facility, we need to have independent physicians to keep it operating and growing. So the scary part for me is, are we going to have enough independent physicians? And perhaps this, this uh, presidential order will cause more people to decide to move out of their, non, out of their non-compete clause and, and practice independently, or will there be a continuing move of physicians to work for hospitals and for large medical groups? So that's kind of my, my fear and my, uh, might possibly be a help to us. We don't really know. It's kind of hard to tell at this point because it just came out and we have no idea what the consequences are going to be. Dr. Berryhill, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.